To me, the X-Men became about, it was actually about adults versus children. Because I felt that the whole thrust of the X-Men was actually about the generational thing, that people dislike their children because new ways of looking at things and adults kind of don't like that because it's threatening to them. So I saw the X-Men as being about that and basically that's where we took it in that direction. Basically about the war between adults and youth. I don't know. Don't look at me. I'm looking at you. You got yourself into that. <laughs> I'm looking at you for validation, Stan. <laughs> Welcome to E for Evolution, examining Grant Morrison's X-Men. We are your hosts. I'm Perry. Hey, guys. I'm Oscar. And this is Pat. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing today? It's been a while. It has been a while. I had to take some time off. I was a little bit ill, but now I'm feeling much better and ready to go. Uh, I'm good. Things have been good. I'm glad to be picking this back up. Yeah, same here. Um I got uh, and I saw the Batman, so that's the, my most re- the most exciting thing I've done recently was mm. was that. Um, which I'm going tomorrow. What what? How many stars do you give it? Um, I think about four and a half out of five. Wow. I go, yeah, I go at four. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, I just my whole thing is I'm, and this is just me personally, but I'm really kind of done with the whole let's do a grounded Batman in the real world approach. I kind of got uh. my. I kind of got my fill of that with Nolan and this is really good at that, but you know, I'm kind of at the phase where I'm just like, let's have the the big back cave with the giant penny and the robot dinosaur and all, all that stuff. <laughs> so what, what you're saying is you miss Schumacher, right? No, not Schumacher, but I like, uh, I like, a, a I like, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I like the Grant Morrison Batman. There you go. <laughs> okay. Not that sure. makes sense. Not sure they'll make a movie out of that, but no, I, did, probably I not. do like but that I, too. But I'd settle for the, the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams 70s Batman. Well, if that means we'll get an on-screen Damien, I'm all for it. <laughs> also surprising no one, Pat is a Damien fan. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it tomorrow. I've got my tickets to go and see it tomorrow, but I do kind of feel like I would like a bit longer of a break between the installments. Mm-hmm. Like the, the last three was, it was a trilogy, right? It wasn't like a mm-hmm. James, well, James Bond used to be where every film was kind of like a standalone story. If they kept doing standalone stories, then I'd be fine with it. But I, I really, I, I'd like a bigger break. I think the same for Spider-Man too. Like give it 15 years between each sort of iteration. I will say they're talking about, um, some people are saying about, having the joker in the next movie and that's what i really want to break from it's just like no more joker for 15 years at least yeah i mean he, did, he has such a great rogues gallery like yeah i want to see a good take on poison ivy for example you didn't like uh, uma thurman's take i did not <laughs> you know, it's, oh, i, I no. have to be i have to be in a in a, in a very specific mood to appreciate that interpretation Yo, it's funny because I watched 
Batman and Robin. And when you look at it as a, a big budget version of the 60s TV show. That's what it was. It, it, really, it, it was. works pretty well. And Uma Thurman, Uma Thurman seems to be the only one in that movie who was who in knows the that. Yes, <laughs> yes. I've just erased that film from my memory. <laughs> I yeah. legit... Well, I think did did Drew Barrymore have like a cameo appearance in that as well? No, that she was did. in. Uh, no, that was, was the in, third one. That was Batman one. Forever. Yeah, mm-hmm. Batman Forever. Okay, and that, I think mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman was in that one too, right? Yes. Yeah, she was in Batman Forever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I've literally the the Schumacher one I have uh, erased from my memory. I. So Batman Forever was Amnesia. also that, yeah, that Amnesia. was also Schumacher. Um, I actually and. I hated Batman and Robin for the longest time, but now I appreciate it more as like when I look at it as an update of the sixties version. Um, and I actually think I'll, Batman forever is now the worst one of them. I'll, I'll try that next time. I'm super bored and I'm watching that movie. It's, it's not a good movie. Okay. I'm not going to say it's a good, I'll never say it's a good movie, but it's entertaining. If you look at it yeah. as, as, in that context. I share the same birthday as Chris O'Donnell. So I remember being super excited about anything he was in, but he's been a bit of a disappointment in general. He's he was just terrible in both of those movies. It's like a he's like forty years old and he's trying to act like a teenager. It's ridiculous. Oh God. Um, anyway, it's a, enough Batman talk. We're here to talk about X Men. So um, today we're talking about uh, new X Men number one thirty two. Ambient magnetic fields is the title. Um, and I can't read this because I'm going to go on a rant about comicsology in a minute. But Grant Morrison is the writer as always. Um, uh, we've got a new uh, penciler here. Uh, this is the debut of Phil Jimenez on the title. Uh, and him and Morrison had worked together previously on The Invisibles, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Richard Starkings in Comic Craft uh, doing the letters. Andy Lanning uh, does the inks. Um it looks like Richard Starkings and Jimmy Betancourt did the did the letters. Uh, Chris Chuckery uh, did the colors. Mike Martz, editor. Um, it doesn't say here, but I know obviously Joe Casada still editor in chief, and I assume Bill Jemis is still around at this point. But again, the the credits aren't listed on um, Comic Vine for that. And uh, also, this co- cover was done by by Frank Whiteley, so he came back just to do the cover on this one. It, it does say uh, Jemis is president. Okay, yeah, yeah. So whatever it's worth. Very, yeah. Um, so I just want to go on a brief rant. I don't, this, you guys can see this on my screen, but this is what Amazon has done to the Comixology browser. They got rid of the Comixology site. So now it directs you just to Amazon's comics site. And then to read in the browser, you have to go to read.amazon.com and it shows your Kindle library. And this is how guided view works now. It's you have to double click to zoom in. Oh no! And, and just keeps click the cover. And it's it's terrible. Like this is just, and it takes so long to load. The app is slightly better, but only slightly. And it's just they've completely butchered this whole thing. Like nobody likes this new version of Comicsology. Everybody, you know, creators, fans everybody's been saying how terrible it is. And I don't understand why they did this. It's definitely been designed by a non-comic reader. Yeah, absolutely. That's the problem there. That is exactly the problem there. Like when you're flipping through the pages, you do not need to see the cover. And also you don't have a page view anymore. There's no, you can't view the pages here in the browser. You can do it on the 
on the regular um, on the app, but you can't do it in the browser version. So you can't like view all the pages and then choose which one. None, all that's gone. It's and now they took away um, in the library. They took away the um, the grid the the series grouping. So my library is just like all the titles just up there, and sorting them does not work at all. They took away the smart list. They took away the archiving. It's they they took away everything useful and gave us nothing back in return. When you're paying for a service, it's supposed to be better than like the pirated cheap versions out there, right? Like the, the, the yeah. you're paying for that um, reliability, smooth the smoothness. I've seen pirated sites that are much better than that. Oh God, yeah. This is this. If if I didn't want to support the comic industry, this would definitely send me drive me to pirating. Yeah, that's sad. That's really sad. They, 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 I hope they fix that soon. I don't know. It's been like almost a month now since they've done it. And despite them promising fixes are coming, you know, it's been crickets. So, so we'll see. Uh, anyway, that, that's my rant. Um, and as someone who has to read digital because I live in Japan, this is really pissing me off. <laughs> Because I'm like, well, you guys, this, are, you guys this... are lucky because you can at least, even if you don't have an LCS, you could at least order stuff from an LCS and have it have free shipping. I don't get that option. So, I mean, all my, like... all my old comics are back home in Australia. So I have to read online as well. If that gives you some uh, mm -hmm. shared misery. Yeah. Uh, Pat, you were saying something? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't really read, read in a browser too much or at all, actually. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I, at least my app transition was relatively seamless for whatever it's worth yeah mine's been and i have a kindle device too um <clears throat> apparently the <clears throat> if you buy stuff on the marvel site the marvel app that still has the old comiXology interface mm -hmm. um i don't know if there's a dc app anymore because i was trying to look for it with my vpn and i couldn't find it but i know that i did test out the dc universe infinite um system and that seems to work much more smoother. So if you're paying the eight bucks a month for, for DC Universe Infinite, that has a much smoother reading experience. Um, but anyway, uh, done with that. Uh, so anyway, uh, about 132, what do you guys think uh, of this issue? Um, I enjoyed it a lot. I Seeing Phil Jimenez is always a good time for me. Um, and you two can correct me, but if I believe this was sort of billed as the 9-11 tribute issue. Yeah, um, yeah. And this, I thought it, it and I thought it did a great job of of being that without overly sentimental and like annoyingly patriotic. Yeah. I'm I'm saying that probably got us canceled, but um, those are my <laughs> that's my feedback. So Look, it, I'm gonna be treading fate. I'm going to be treading my feet very carefully as the non-American okay. in this group. So um, I think it, it managed to toe that very delicate line between like making me feel stuff without making me feel the wrong things. And by wrong things, I mean like being overly corny or chintzy or like just like patriotic in a way that I find annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and some of those 9-11 tribute issues definitely got that way i think morrison mm -hmm. was wise to do this do like a 9-11 type tribute in a way that wasn't actually about 9-11 um 
and just but use also it. about 9-11 yeah yeah right? yes but and i think it was a much better way of doing it as opposed mm-hmm. to like the um the j michael straczynski issue of, of amazing spider-man where you had like doom on the on the ruins shedding a tear it's like how many people have you killed now come on he had doom shedding a tear yeah yeah really oh, you, you never you never read that issue oh god i gotta no. look up that panel Wait, about about 9-11 yes yes okay okay and um i think j michael straczynski he actually said that that wasn't his idea but it was uh-huh. i think it was the artist who drew that in uh okay. it was john ramita jr but yeah it's just okay, okay. I, I found the panel here i'm going to show this to you um, oh my god i can't believe you guys never you know you guys never read this issue I, I, I remember I when, I like, didn't. the September 11 issue came out, uh, like the memorial issue that all the artists contributed to, and mm-hmm. my comic book store sold out the day it was released. It, everyone sort of snapped that up. I wasn't able to get it. Yeah, it was. Uh, I had recently done a read through of uh, the JMS run, and um, and you know, at the time I liked it, but at looking back on it now, it's really, it was really stupid. Here we go. So here's the here's the page, you know. So you have Magneto, yeah. Kingpin, Doom, and Juggernaut all standing at the ru- oh, and Doctor Octopus too, all standing at the ruins. Uh-huh. And then here, this here we go, Doom crying here at this last panel. Uh, okay, <laughs> okay. And I love the fact they still mourn the random death of innocence, and it's like all of these guys have caused a lot of innocent deaths. That's yeah, a lot you... more than the people that died in September yeah, 11. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I it was um Morrison definitely chose the the right approach with this. Um and I, I love Phil Jimenez's art. It's mm-hmm. it's he's got a very strong like George Perez influence. He's got a very classic kind of style to mm-hmm. him while still being modern at the same time. I agree. You can definitely see the George Perez influence, um, but it's not a copycat. It's just an influence, which right. I like. Um, the, the, the only sort of criticism that only, I, I always try to be positive. And I end up saying the negative thing first, but the one thing that I sort of irks me a little bit, and I try to not let it bother me too much is that I do find that his female characters all look a little bit like Glenn Close. Hmm. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. Do you guys see that? I mean, now that you mention it, a little Gene, maybe a little bit. Gene Polaris in this issue definitely has some Glenn Close um, similarities, see, I guess. But now, but now that you said it, I can't unsee it. And oh and no! I'm, I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> now that Damn. you said it, I'm like, nope, you're right. Like this panel with, yep, that's that's Glenn Close right there. Yep, <laughs> it's, you, you you are correct, sir. It's so uh, I I I so feel awful now that i've uh that to you because it's all i see but uh, i mean do, do, i see it in, in this that, panel in this panel this close of polaris i see it there but i don't really see it anywhere else like that's the only there that's is, the only time i really kind of see it definitely has um but it, even gene sometimes in this in this issue itself but he, his art is great you know it's a uh, it does its job and uh, it's, he's not one of my favorite artists, but he's consistently good. I think uh, um, if we're talking about the artists from this run, 
Um, Quietly would be number one with a bullet, obviously. But oh, there's, there's no doubt. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd put Jimenez at number two for me. Um, I agreed. I think I've put Bacala at number two, but oh, actually, actually yes. Sorry, three. sorry, I forgot the yeah. weapon plus. Yeah, arc. yeah. That, that's tough. Then and that um, that arc that he did is one of his best arcs that Bacalo has ever driven. Uh, drew mm-hmm. ever, and it, it, it plays to his strengths. Yeah, um, definitely. But but back to this issue. Um, I, I also like how Jimenez is, is his lines are really clean and he manages to make those extreme X-Men costumes look good because it was not my favorite in that title, but he makes them look really good here. Well, he gets the only like one he Storm's does Dreads? is um... no, it's not so much the, the, the outfit. I was just not a big fan of that in extreme, yeah. but he uh... makes it look good here. I like some of them. Uh, I thought the extreme designs were were a nice melding of the the new leather approach with like mm-hmm. a more classic superhero approach. Um, I thought when uh, when Cordy came on, I thought the designs got lazy then. But mm-hmm. in I thought oh. the Laroca designs were for the most part pretty good. Although I never liked Bishop with long hair. I always liked mm-hmm. Bishop with uh, with short hair. Didn't he always have long hair? He, he in I his original like... he had long hair for a while, and then in like oh he got bald right. He went like uh, it was a buzz cut type thing, and he had yes. that. For... Yeah, he went like yes. He went when Britney. He went like Britney Spears and just shaved mm-hmm. his head after Age of Apocalypse when his brain right. started to. Yeah, That's right. And then he, um, when he was in uh, the last X Man, when he had his own his own series, that's when he got the dreads. Um, if it's dreads, I think I'm fine with, but it's either dreads or or short hair. I don't like the the kind of like straight long hair look that they had him in in Extreme X Men. I, I also appreciated the moments of levity, which is sort of a good balance when you're telling this very sad, dark, sort of downturn story, like Storm being all like, if anyone wants to be a prized pupil, Charles prefers this kind of tea. <laughs> I like that. And then Thunderbird's yes. the one who, who tries to right. brown nose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I got you this green tea, Professor. I, I do okay. always think back to this too, actually. And I, I wish that other writers would pick up on that and make sure you know, that the Professor is drinking his green tea. I quite like that. You know, one of the funny things about... is that little moment with Thunderbird mm-hmm. made him more interesting in this comic than, than everything ever... else. Yeah, that's everything so else. true. Mm-hmm. That is what? so mm-hmm. true. Um, but being, like, it shows a lot, you know, being green, eager to please, being the new one mm-hmm. it's a, you're, you're right you're very right there mm-hmm. yeah speaking just, about the cast well because and it says so much about him in that moment in just that little brief subtle interaction as opposed to him always talking about how like i'm the new guy here like he always did in the claremont stuff mm-hmm. yeah i i like that the this issue in particular it, it breaks away a little bit from the the standard five right so we the the beast Wolverine, Cyclops, mm-hmm. Jean, and Emma, and we've just got Professor X and Jean, and visiting like another little X team that's on the peripheral. Right. Um, Sinks, Sabra. Is, Sabra, yeah, yeah. Is that how you say it, Sabra? I assume. Mm-hmm. I've always said it, Sabra. So. I, uh, yeah, that's how my I accent. It. I've always said Sabra, but I'm Australian, so I get away with it. That's fine. Uh, I really like her character, and I think that she was uh, when she came out in the '90s was supposed to sort of join the team or become a much bigger presence. And she yeah. never kind of did. And I'm not quite sure why. Um, 
I think it was, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Labdell wanted her on the team and, and then, um, but then he ended up leaving the book before he could do that. I guess I, I can't remember if it was editorial telling him they didn't want him want to do that or what, or if it was just a side effect of him leaving the book, but he had originally intended to bring her on the team after zero tolerance, I think. Mm. Um, and then just never, yeah, and that's not long it. after the that he left the book, right? And then, think yeah, zero tolerance was his uh, was his last arc, and Seagal sort of took over them, yeah. but um, yeah, I, I really like her and I expected her to have a much bigger presence within the, the Marvel universe in general. Mm. Maybe it'll still happen, but and then obviously Quicksilver and uh, Polaris, but also, no, I'm gonna say this one wrong as well. How do you pronounce the untouchable? Eunice? Yes, great. That's how I would have said okay. it as well. So <laughs> it was a really cool throwback to see someone that was yeah. in like the first couple of issues ever of X-Men and then never really heard from again. Well, it's because um, he, that's what I think, it's because he died. Did he die? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, his daughter ended up becoming one of the acolytes, Unison. Oh, really? I didn't know that those two were connected. Is that how you say that? Uh, this episode is about pronunciation. I, that's always how I've so. said it. How do you say? I think it? you're. I I think this is super wrong. I I said Unisian, but that doesn't sound right wow. now. I, I think I yours like, is correct. I say it with like as if it was Italian. Unisione. Mm. Yes. Well, I mean that that probably <laughs> is that might one. Actually. That might be close. That might be closer actually because mm. that's mm-hmm. that is it's their last name and they're Italian. So that's right. Oh my God! I'm in shock. I'm if I'm right. Wow. We need mm-hmm. to write to the creator and say, how the hell do you, how do you, how do you pronounce this? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it's just weird because all of a sudden Eunice pops up here after being dead for like 20 years with no explanation. Okay, I never um, realized that he was supposed to be dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of But Sabres, yeah, I really like the cast. It's a really mixed matched and I think it was really cool. It sort of bring, it, it, in this particular sense, it gave the story a, uh, a widespread feel that it's, it's it's the event is touching characters all over the world does that yeah. make sense no yeah and mm-hmm. this was also the period in the books when editorial was trying to show a little bit more connectivity between them so you had storm and thunderbird and then later bishop and sage pop up in new x-men um and then you know gene and beast and nightcrawler and wolverine they had popped up in in extreme x-men emma frost too it appeared in as well they had that mm-hmm. that arc. schism I believe yeah yeah schism called. yeah um, before the second schism yeah <laughs> um and it was nice and it's funny in both those instances i felt like those extreme x-men characters were handled better in these brief issues than they were in all of extreme x-men <laughs> Uh, speaking of Sabra, like I, there was another piece of cringy humor I, pre- I appreciated where she was like, well, except for being a genocidal whatever, mm-hmm. you know, also he was my father. Um, <laughs> Quicksilver retorts. <laughs> but he, yeah, he's like, otherwise you're right. Right. Yes. Otherwise you are correct, ma'am. So um, also I did like the, the reference to um, uh, Eve of Destruction here where she says that, you know, he would he coerced the entire Genosian mutant population into a war with humanity. So that's another Eve, uh, Eve of Destruction little mm-hmm. continuity reference. 
I actually really liked the Eve of Destruction storyline. I mean, that that one issue that was like the news issue and um, sort of the build up to it. It made it feel like it was going to be a really big event. It, the problem is, it was like a twelve issue event that got pushed down into four issues. Yeah, and Jean um, suddenly had this weird team of like backup X Men that came out of nowhere, and we had no explanation yeah, but, as to why the other X Men weren't around. Yeah, but those yeah. characters really interested me, and I wanted to see more of them. And uh, yeah, that was a. Uh, it was uh, uh, interesting why she went on that recruitment drive mm. <laughs> with those characters, but. And also, you know, Sunfire's sister named Sunfire. Oh, but with a, with a first name that's not even actually it's not even phonetically possible in Japanese. I thought that was interesting too. Oh, what, what, uh, not not phonetically possible because they don't have an L sound in Japanese. So, huh? Okay. So her name was Leiu, and it's like that's not phonetically possible. They just oh. replace it with an R. Even still, that's not really? a. It's not a. That's not an actual name. Like yeah. Ray would be okay, but Leiu, that's not an actual name at all. They um, really should like nowadays. That would all be someone would pre-approve it and check those cultural references. But this was, you know. The, it was the 90s, right? I mean, so. even still, like I, I was reading uh, Bendis' New Avengers and he did the thing where he had um, where he had written foreign languages in the actual foreign language and it's clear he just used Google Translate because <laughs> there's one side, there's one part where Wolverine says, you know, says something like, right guys? And the Japanese, it translates into, the Japanese that's written in the comic is the right hand version of right, which is different from like, like right guys. It's a completely different word. Oh, like a directional thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, right? Okay. <laughs> so, as far as the story yeah, goes, though, I, I feel like, um, uh, actually, um, I'm trying to think of how to articulate it properly. I like what you said earlier, Pat, about how it's giving a sense of um, remembrance and uh, not being too cliche or over the top or having doom crying. But I still felt it was a little bit too ambiguous it was a little bit floaty and floaty it didn't come out and say what it wanted to say i didn't i don't really love it there was one part that was kind of off-putting for me and that's when um they find toad and the other mutants building the monument and quicksilver mentions like are you building some sort of insane monument to my father and then the next very next panel it says Quicksilver was eager to stay and help them. I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem, that seems off. So it just felt like a weird character beat there. Yeah, what is what are they trying to say? I don't know. It was it was a weird thing. It's, I I that part didn't did that didn't lose me. I I think it makes sense. Like in this moment for him, like feeling whatever beef he has with his father, like he's grieving, he's feeling the loss, like. I think it makes sense to me that he would do that. I mean, I think it makes more sense in the in the first page when he, when Saber makes the comment about Magneto mm -hmm. being genocidal, being mm -hmm. a genocidal maniac, and then Quicksilver, you know, saying you're right, and then he just kind of runs off, and and you know, I think that that rang truer to me than like him saying like this is an insane monument and then staying behind and to help build it. But Pietro not being impulsive. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. I, like it, this, it, I don't, that's not within his character. I it just jumped like. out to me. Is it felt weird to me. I do like the how um, 
Jimenez draws his speed though. Like mm-hmm. the, with, you know, he's all in focus and the background's all blurry with the speed lines. I thought that's a really cool effect that he did here. But uh, Oscar, what, what do you think it was trying to say that it couldn't say or didn't say? I don't know. That's the thing. I, I really don't know. I, I, I went back and had a look at the dates that it was actually published. And I know back in the 90s, um, and I don't know whether they were still doing this in the early 2000s when this was published, but they to try and make their books seem fresher or newer, if it came out in June, they would put on the cover April to say, yeah. like, oh, this is like a newest issue. So when you mm-hmm. looked at the cover, you could never tell when it really actually came out. But this particular issue came out 12 months after September 11th. So it would have been around September 2002. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 20, exactly, you know, yeah, 20 years ago now. But I, it has the imagery of them going through the ruins of Genosha is very evocative of September 11. You know, like there's some buildings that are, the structures are exactly that of the Twin Towers. So that kind of hitting you with a sledgehammer to say, like, this is what it's about. But in terms, what is it? Is it saying that we've got to keep the memories of the victims alive? Is that what it's saying? I think so, because the, it just kind of ends with Magneto's message about, you know, voices echoing in the dark for eternity. And so I think that's, I feel like that that really is the only thing it's saying. It's just like the idea of just, <clears throat> honoring that memory and allowing their voices to speak um it could be it maybe is it, you know is it, is it saying honoring their memory even if they were bad people because they're building the statue to magneto well i i, I don't know like it just doesn't like it feels inappropriate to make that distinction in this moment like but do you mean like honoring the bad people who caused the incident I don't know. That's the thing. Like, I don't get why why they would build a monument to a terrorist. Well, to be in... fair, it's not the X Men who are actually doing it. it. In the end, it's it's Polaris who does it herself in this moment of, you know, insanity. And the, and if there was a, a quote unquote villain who would sort of inhabit that gray area, like it's Magneto. Like, I feel like it would be a kind of a disservice just to lump him as a outright villain so i think it's when i'm thinking about it is i think it's also the fact that it ends on the recording mm-hmm. and and not like them talking about the victims i think that's kind of a message in that you know allow these people their own voices to be remembered as opposed to letting other people who are still alive speak for them and twist them into their own agenda. That's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, I really like the choice of making it focus on those radio transmissions. Like it's really effective in in evoking the the fictional disaster of Genosha. And also like, I think in 9-11, there was such like play in the news about those transmissions coming from the planes mm-hmm. that yeah. it, it sort of hits those two things for me so well, which I think is what makes the issue effective without doing a lot of extra work and lifting. Like the, the, the subtlety is really good and effective. Something I like here in, in this panel is just like the way that they're able to show Quicksilver's 
standoffishness, whereas everybody else is greeting, right? You have Gene and Storm hugging, you know, mm -hmm. Thunderbird and Xavier are shaking hands and Sabra's right by there. And then Quicksilver's just standing off to the side with his arms crossed. Mm -hmm. I, I just love like the little body language ticks that um, Jimenez throws in. I mean, it, it's a really, it's really good it, a visual representation. I think of somebody going to the funeral of their father that they hated. Right, yeah. you're, you're you're there because you're going kind to of have to be, but you don't really want to be there. And and I think the fact that they, I mean, there I, there was I think one moment of um, excess on Morrison's part when um, they find a literal black box that was that was not a black box, but it was <laughs> a black box, also literal a literal black box. What do you guys think about the nudity? <laughs> I thought it was just like, you know, it was it was a weird choice, especially with the, the hair dangling conveniently mm -hmm. over the nipples. What's if this? you look at that shot where Lorna, uh, where her uh, costume starts to sort of shred away from the radiation or her powers, or I, I don't know what the, the reason of the costume disintegrating is, but uh, where her face is all dark and she's looking very evil, that for me is the Glenn Close yeah. image yeah. of this issue. Um, but yeah, I feel like I, I get that he was injecting, Morrison was injecting um, sex into every issue in some way. And I appreciate that. But in this moment, it just seems so wrong. And it really took me out of the issue a bit. So I'm like, why is she naked and screaming like that? It's, I don't know, is it showing that she's really gone insane? She doesn't care anymore? I don't know. It's it, it took me out of it. Well, the way I read it is because this costume that she's wearing, this was from the, the Dark Seduction, uh, Magneto Dark Seduction uh, comic miniseries. Mm -hmm. And if I'm remembering correctly, the costume itself is made of metal. So the... I took it, I read this as like the magnetic forces are kind of like pulling the costume off her. Okay. That makes a lot more sense knowing that it's a metal outfit, which I did not. But but yeah, it is, yeah, the, the nudity wasn't really, it wasn't really necessary, I don't think, but that's just the only way I, I read that. Mm -hmm. um, I did think it was, because how did you guys interpret her quote-unquote insanity in this issue because i interpret it as a temporary thing that happened because of all these magnetic voices that she was hearing but then in you know then we get her in chuck austin where she becomes like you know a soap opera villain yeah i, I think the less we say about that other thing perhaps the better um well i, I mean I, I like the idea of you know she's just being overloaded by all of this like information that she had to store and mm -hmm. transmit I like the idea that she's gone crazy because she's storing all of that information. She's gone through this mm -hmm. huge uh, traumatic event and, you know, it's good to see the characters go through some kind of PTSD. Mm -hmm. um, I can think of uh, a story. I don't know where it was X-Men Unlimited or something like that, but Scotty Young was the artist and Anoli from new X-Men was struggling with his PTSD. And I thought it was such a great little side issue that it stuck with me after, you know, they're sort of throwaway ones, but dealing with the PTSD and uh, struggling with mental health issues is so central to her character now. And I don't think it was just from 
this. I think Peter David. Peter David had done mm -hmm. some some stuff with her. Had already bipolar, said that yeah. you know, she had she has bipolar. She had um, some kind of uh, eating disorder. She's got these mental health issues anyway, which is why she's struggling so much to deal with these traumatic events. So I personally don't mind the craziness, but when it's put in the hands of an inelegant writer like Chuck Austin. That's being delicate. Not, <laughs> that's, that is, <laughs> that, look, I've told you guys, I'm really working on it, right? I'm really working on it. But in, in those circumstances, it's not great. But I think here it's completely perfect in with her character from taking on from mm. what writers have written previously. And that's what Morrison said in the manifesto, right? Like um, building on continuity in a way that new people, new readers won't be bogged down by. We can clearly see that she has some, uh, she's struggling mentally. I, I, I don't have a problem with it. Pat, do you have anything to add about that? Um, no, like, I, I thought it was, it was fine here. Um, but like Oscar said, I don't think Austin was the writer to further develop mm -hmm. this particular story thread. What did you think of them? Um, the, the reestablishing that old thing where Polaris is Magneto's daughter, because that had been when she first appeared, you know, way back in what the sixties, that was what she was originally written as but then they said that that actually wasn't true mesmero was just trying to manipulate her um and then for you know decades it's been that she's not magneto's daughter she's just happens to have you know similar powers um and then this you know you know she said she calls him she calls him her father but then in and the one when i read this issue i just took it as you know it's because of the the mental instability and all these voices and it's just you know triggering this old memory when she thought he was her her father but then chuck austin went ahead and did the blood test and all that kind of stuff yeah. <laughs> I, I did like that they did the blood test and the dna test and it's like irrefutable now that lorna is magneto's daughter but um i personally think it's better that she's just the daughter i i it's the the powers are too similar it's good just to lock it down. I don't like the mystery. Is she, yeah, I mean, isn't she? That's boring. I guess I didn't know any better. So I, I guess it wasn't really remarkable to me when it, like I, that's what I always thought what the relationship was. Um, and I, I, at least in the more recent comics, it's led to some pretty entertaining and interesting interactions between the two of them. So I, I think it's fine. Yeah. I, I like some of the, the interactions that have come out since then. Like, I really like the interaction between her and Quicksilver and uh, mm -hmm. all new X Factor. Um, mm -hmm. Although now Quicksilver is not Magneto's right. son. <laughs> mm -hmm. We'll see how long that lasts, though. Mm -hmm. um, I really don't like that um, that retcon. I really don't like that retcon. I don't. I don't. I don't like it necessarily, but I don't mind it either because it's it was a retcon to begin with. So. I, what, what I find so interesting, not so much quicks, we're taking a digression, people, um, is like everyone's so committed to the Wanda is his daughter narrative because mm -hmm. we're committed to her being a mutant. But I'm like, she hasn't even really spent time in that. Anyway, it's fine. It, it's a hill I'm going to die on at some point. No, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's like, geez, it's, she's. The thing so is about the. 
she's X-Men adjacent for the longest time. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. why would we miss her? Anyway. The thing is with me that irritates me about the retcon with Peter and uh, Pietro and Wanda is that it was done purely because of Fox and yeah. Disney. I, I don't know what you're talking about, Oscar. Reason. That's, that's <laughs> not true. What are you talking about? It doesn't facilitate the, it doesn't facilitate the film, uh, sorry, the, the, the story in any way, shape or form. It's um that that's my main problem with the recon. It, it doesn't do anything for the story. It's purely marketing, and it it in fact it detracts from their story rather than contributes to it. So yeah, that's that's my little How, rant. I, I are you I telling like me that all. that editorial decisions are driven by? I don't know what you're talking about, Oscar. <laughs> I don't it know. Should always be what a progressive story. About. How dare it should you? Always be to progress the story. How, that 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 thing in Axis was super necessary, as was that entire story. How how dare you? I just I reread that story recently, and it's just like it's. I had been, I had such high hopes for that. I would that reveal with like the Red Skull is onslaught mm-hmm. was such a was such a cool and creepy reveal, and then it's just like it's this story where you know superheroes become supervillains and supervillains become superheroes for a handful of issues and it's it was just so lackluster although to be to be fair i i heard or i read somewhere that i I, like there was a lot of it i mean obviously with a retcon too like there's a lot of there was a lot of editorial hand holding and that would make sense because i think remender left after that yes i think that was not the story he was wanting to tell so yeah, that, that makes sense. Although, you know, I will say that as um, one of the things that Joe Casey had said years before he even became a, a writer on the X-Books was they had um, they had approached like a bunch of, Wizard had done this special where they had approached a bunch of different creators and asked them what they would do with the X-Men. And mm-hmm. one of the things Casey said he wanted to do, he, Casey was one of the creators they had talked to. And he had said one of the things he wanted to do was make Quicksilver an X-Men. He's like, you know, Magneto's son on the X-Men is, is perfect. And I always wish that when we had that in the in the late 90s after mm-hmm. onslaught when he was you know sleeping on scott and gene's couch mm-hmm. i had hoped that he'd end up becoming a member of the team i was kind of disappointed he never did what was he sleeping on their couch in the in the post onslaught uh issues after the avengers had sacrificed themselves oh okay there was like a, a series of it there was a bunch of issues where he was staying with the x-men and basically he was he was staying in the boathouse and sleeping on Scott and Jean's mm. couch because I guess. Yeah, I think I remember there was a scene where he was sort of crying, right? And Jean came over and comforted him. And yeah, because it was after because uh, Crystal and and Wanda had both died in the. Uh, oh, that's right. Because only non mutants can enter the vague blob of energy. To right, stop and the big uh, bad. Yes. but and yes. Wanda's hex protected her. <laughs> right. Oh, yes. Oh, that's right. Correct. Or maybe because she wasn't really a mutant. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. But I always thought it was disappointing that he because I thought Quicksilver's a character that I thought would always be an interesting guy on the X Men, and we always get teases like this, like that. Like that scene in um in that that bit after onslaught, and then here where we see him interact with them, and it's, it's like I just want to see it happen. Well, it may be too late for a little while. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, anything else you guys want to say about about this issue? I think it's a very weird September 11 memorial issue. I I still feel that 
I don't really understand the purpose of them building the Magneto statue. I understand why the Toad would, but I don't really understand why the X-Men sort of helped with it. Uh, well, I, li- I like the issue. I didn't love it. That's um, all I'll say. I, I really liked it. I, I, as far as like tribute issues go, I, I, I think it sort of towed that line expertly between being a tribute without being too unctuous or overwhelming and like having the story be transmitted I guess through the lens of Genosha is really effective because it it allows people I guess like me when I was reading this who sort of I mean yeah it was a horrible thing that happened but I was also very much concerned about like all the negative implications of all this patriotic fervor was creating but it it kind of cuts through all that crap to get at this very human story and making it about like the people who died in genosha and sort of the real life event that it was trying to evoke um and phil jimenez is always a treat for me yeah that i it's a gorgeous issue um Mm -hmm. that's that's one of the best things i can say about it is that it just the backgrounds the the characters I like everything about the the effects. I like everything mm-hmm. about the arts in this issue. And um, <clears throat> that's really what I think elevates it more than anything else for me is that the story itself, I think I'm remembering it because this was an issue I was really looking forward to because we get some, some more information on what had happened to Magneto. And in that context, I was a little disappointed that we didn't see more. Of course, you know, in retrospect, we know why, because there's something mm-hmm. else coming later. But mm-hmm. um, this was billed as like the last Magneto story. And that's probably more a fault of marketing than anything else. But so in that aspect, it was a little disappointing. But as a 9-11 analogy issue, I thought it it did a really good job without like Pat said, veering too much into the, the overly sentimental, overly patriotic stuff. Um, and I liked the, I mean, this is, this would have been a cool X-Men team actually looking at that splash page of them all at the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you got Storm, Xavier, Gene, Polaris, Thunderbird, Quicksilver, Sabra. (laughs) I'm I'm kind of interested in seeing these, this as a team after seeing that. I agree that, that actually, that meant when you say that, that does look like a cool team, a very cool team. And, and like I said, I thought this was the best Thunderbirds ever written, even though he didn't really have much of a big role in this issue. And uh, Phil draws a very awesome gene, I have to say. I like I the mean, way he, he... He draws a lot of awesome things, but I, I, I think his depiction of Jean is my favorite. Yeah. I like the way he draws Storm in, in this last page, too. I thought, like, the way her cape is flowing and, and the hair, I thought it was a really nice use of... Um, nice composition. Mm-hmm. But yeah uh that's about it I've, I've got to say about this issue so um guys you want to tell people where they can find you yeah you can find me on twitter at odat220 um you can find me on tumblr at uh, perfect fabric killing machine um i also started an insta thing with uh, my handle there's emma frost actual and i post some art if you want to check that out um and you can find my other podcast, Krakoan Exports. Uh, we have some cool episodes lined up there, so check us out. In fact, the one with the Jordan White interview came out. This I'm not sure when Percy's going to post this episode, but it came out this week. Um, 
and we have an upcoming episode with uh, new Immortal X-Men writer, Kieran Gillen. So check us out there. Nice. Um, and, you know, my stuff can all be found at percivalconstantine.com. You can also find uh, my other podcast, uh, Superhero Cinephiles, at uh, superherocinephiles.com. Uh, both these guys appeared on uh, a few months back to talk about Generation X TV movie, and Pat's going to be on an upcoming episode to talk about Eternals. And um, and as for this show, uh, we are now at anchor.fm slash e for evolution change servers. And um, so that's our new website. And But we're still Morrison XPod on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, please make sure to like and review us on Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. And that does it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. E for Evolution, examining Grant Morrison's X-Men is produced by Percival Constantine with theme music by Aaron Kenny. Audio of Grant Morrison and Stan Lee was recorded at San Diego Comic-Con 2008 and provided by bravogabo.livejournal.com. You can find E for Evolution on Twitter and Instagram at MorrisonXPod and on the web at eforevolution.transistor.fm. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email address is eforevolutionpodcast at gmail.com. Support the show by leaving us a review at Apple Podcasts, which helps us reach more listeners. Special thanks to the members of the House of X Facebook group for their encouragement in getting this show started. Thank you.